Luke chapter 9 will be what we go over today. One of the challenges that we have when we try to study God's Word, it's a book, and it's a big book, and there's lots of different stories and events and things that go on, is trying to cover it all. We spend our lifetime really trying to cover it all and to know what God's trying to teach us, to know how the Old Testament and God and his people and the people of Israel, how God worked through them and how his promises came and his promises were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That kind of transforms and moves into the story of Jesus and his life. And we read about those in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And then into the book of Acts, it talks about the history of the church starting. And then into the epistles or the letters, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, and the others. But trying to cover all that's a big task. That's why we need one another. That's why God designed us not to live in isolation from one another, but to live in community with other believers. We call that the church. Because God knew that it wouldn't be good for us to be by ourselves, because when we're by ourselves, we do stuff we tend to, or that we shouldn't do. <laughs> we don't ha- understand things as clearly as we should, because sometimes we might read or hear what God has to say to us, but maybe we're having a bad day or we feel bad or the devil's really working on us, and we just can't understand. But when we come together as the church, and we read from God's word. We help one another. We sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron, is what the Bible says about believers, how we help one another understand God's word better. And the elements that we're always going to have, we're going to have the people of God, the word of God, and the spirit of God. We have those things together, and we're going to know what God is trying to teach us and how he's trying to lead you in your life and what you're going to do in your job and your work and your family and in your relationships, and then how you fit in to the bigger church. And what God wants you to accomplish. Because what God talks about as the church, as the bride of Christ, is that it is at its best when we're all doing our part. That the church is at its best when we are all doing our part. Because Jesus didn't just save us from something, he saved us for something. He saved us for life and to have life abundantly, he tells us very clearly in scripture. And that we do that when we're working and serving together and we're plugged in into the local church. And we know that cross planes isn't going to be a fit for everybody, but we can be a fit for somebody, and somebody might be you. But we want to find a way how you can be involved in God's kingdom, in the church, and knowing that it's not just something where you show up and you fill up the stadium and you sit on the sidelines and you watch the professionals go out and do it, or me in my case, right? But but that we're all involved and we all have things that God wants for us to do. We're all to be to get into the game, and that's my job. It's my privilege. That's what I get to do, to equip people for the work of ministry. Ministry is just a fancy word that we use for service. And Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A million other things I could talk about. That's why we try to talk about it all, but we can't. But that's why we keep coming together and we keep sticking with God and with his word. Um, Luke chapter 9 I'm going to start in verse 1 and end in the last verse. It's a long chapter. It's a big passage of Scripture. So however you will best be able to track along, do that. If you need to open your Bible and read along, feel free. If you want to follow along the words on the screen, you can do that as well. If you need to close your eyes and listen, you know, sometimes we think, oh, people can't pay attention that long. Well, sometimes we don't give people a chance to try to pay attention that long. But what I want to do is to expose us to the Word of God. And it's not just a verse or a paragraph, but how we best understand God's Word is in context. What the Bible does is that it teaches us. A lot of times when I have questions about God's Word, a verse or a chapter or a story that's going on in the life of Jesus here, as we're going to see in Luke chapter 9, a lot of times what I have found anyway is that when I have a question about what's going on, if I read before it and after it, a lot of times I can kind of figure out what's going on. What was Jesus doing? What was he trying to accomplish? 
So I'm going to read this whole chapter, and Luke was a physician. He liked to talk, so it's really long. Um, but I think it's important for us to hear bigger chunks of God's word together. So that being said, I'll read. I read from the English Standard Version. That's my preferred English translation. It's not the best one. It's just the one that I learn from best. Use the one that works best for you. I know it can be a little tricky sometimes if I'm reading one and you're following along in another, but that's kind of how it works. So I'm reading from the English Standard in case you, if it's different from the one that you have and you're wondering what I have. So uh, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 1. And he called the twelve together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever, and whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there you will depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was by some that John had been raised. Some, it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had arisen. And Herod said to them, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to seek him. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethesda. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and they welcomed him, and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to hear to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowds away to go into the surrounding villages to the countryside to find lodging and to get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Verse 13. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go in to buy food for all these people. For there were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Have them sit in groups of about fifty each, and they did so. And they had all of them sit down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. Now it happened as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others still, one of the prophets of old has risen. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would lose his, save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory. And the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. 
Verse 28 continues. Now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy asleep. But when they became fully awake and they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him, and as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for you that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days of anything that they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seized him and suddenly cried out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him, and he will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciple to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and to bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were still marveling at everything that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. An argument arose among them. He's talking about the disciples. An argument arose among them. As to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you is the one who is great. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him. For the one who is not against you is for you. Two more paragraphs, verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, to set his face to go to Jerusalem, he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and he rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those who are at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's a lot. It's a lot that's going on in in the life of Jesus. But the way that Jesus taught was by looking people in the eye and talking to them. By telling them parables, by telling them stories, by asking questions. Jesus, the best teacher ever, always knows the condition of my heart. And we see that played out again over and over again in the Gospels. That Jesus even asks the questions before we know that we need to ask them. A lot of times Jesus knows what his disciples or the people around him need. One, because he's God, he has that ability none of the rest of us do, okay? Just so that we're clear. But what he also does is that he spends time with them and he listens. And by the words that they say and by the way that they act and by the things that they talk about, Jesus can figure out where they are in their faith and what they're struggling with. And he can figure out what they're going to need and what they need to hear because I know maybe you've experienced this. But sometimes I know that I need to come to God and ask him something but I don't know what I need to ask. Or maybe I'm too stubborn to go do it by myself and I don't want to have to admit that I need the help. But God recognizes that I need that well before I do. And a lot of times what I see is that he'll give me the answer that I need before I even ask him the question. Now that doesn't always happen, but it is the way that Jesus interacts with his disciples. Man, there's so much stuff that went on in here. I can't talk about it all. I could, but I won't. But what we see, there's examples of Jesus sending out his apostles and he gave them powers to heal. And we even learn of one case where Jesus' disciples tried to heal, but they weren't able to. And they had to bring the person directly to Jesus so that he could cast out the demon. And the thing that I loved about that story, let's look back. Verse 40, well, right before verse 43. Verse 43 really struck me as I was spending time with this this week. Where Jesus heals this boy with an unclean spirit. Jesus healed him, and the demon didn't come out of him easily. But it says Jesus rebuked the spirit, and he healed the boy. And I love this last line, the way that Luke puts it, really the way that God put it. What did he do to that boy after he healed him? He gave him back to his father. And that's what Jesus does with you. When Jesus steps in and he changes your heart and your life, He starts to get rid of the bad and the evil. And he gives you back to your father. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for everyone who will choose to follow him. Because the Bible says it very clearly. Is that Jesus came so that the world might be saved. So that everyone, includes anyone and everyone, that turns and is willing to go and to follow Jesus. And maybe the most heartbreaking thing about the world, is that people won't listen and that they won't respond and recognize just how much God loves them and cares for them and wants the very best for them. That's not what God wants. He wants everyone to know who Jesus is and to know that they're a child that is dearly loved by their father and that is cared for and that can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus. But what God left it up to do is he left it up to you. He put his plan in place, and God did everything that he needed to do. But ultimately, it comes down to a decision that you have to make to follow Jesus. To use some of the language here from Luke chapter 9, is that I have to take up my cross daily and follow after Jesus. He says, if I don't do that, I'm not really following after him as his disciple. Really, one of the things that stood out to me the most is these two passages. It's all very challenging. 
But there's these two passages that are kind of at the heart of Luke chapter 9. One's right in the middle. It starts around verse 23. And it says that verse that I just talked about. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses my life will save it. For what does a man profit himself if he gains the whole world or loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes, and the glory of the Father and the Father and the Holy Angels. (laughs) There is a a cost to doing what Jesus has commanded for me to do. There's a cost for you to follow after Jesus because you're going to have to orient your life and you're going to have to arrange your priorities how God says that you should and not how your family says that you should. Now, family is a great, good, grand, and wonderful thing, can be at times anyway. But I can't let anything get in the way of God and what he has taught me and what he is calling for me to do. That's why he reminds me here and all the Gospels kind of tell us a version of this story as we hear Jesus proclaiming and teaching. He says, you have to follow after me. And I love the way that it puts it here in Luke 9 daily. That reminder that I need it, that I have to die to myself. I have to give up what I think is most important, what I want the most, what I think is best. And follow after the one who knows way better than I do. As Jesus says, it doesn't do us any good if we're just chasing after stuff that's not going to matter in the long run. If we chase after things that moth and rust can destroy, what's going to happen to those things eventually? Well, moth and rust are going to destroy them. What Jesus is always most concerned with is my spiritual life, my spiritual health, because that is what is going to go on forever. And it's either going to live on forever in the presence of God, we call that heaven most of the time, or it's going to live on forever removed from the presence of God suffering and torment with the devil and his angels. That's what we're dealing with anytime that we talk about our faith. That's why it's so important that Jesus wants us to be his children who grow up to be mature adults in our faith, that we can handle the meatier, heavier things of Scripture. And that we can not just know what Jesus told me to do, because it's kind of easy to read or to hear, have somebody else read it to you. But it's a game changer. When I'm going to take the words that Jesus talked about and taught, and I'm going to apply those to my life. That I want to be, to use language we use here a lot, I want to be a disciple, a Christian. I want to be a disciple who makes disciples. I want to let other people know about the love of Jesus because of the love of Jesus that I have in my life. Because of what I know about him, I want more people to be included in the kingdom of God because God chose to include me when I followed after him. And that's all of our jobs. Every person's job that's followed after Jesus is to be a disciple who's going to make disciples. That doesn't happen overnight, and maybe you have no idea how that works. Well, welcome to the club. You know, it happens. We're all learning, and this is a journey that we're working on together. But what God has called for us to do is to have influence to have influence in the lives of the people that are around us. You have spheres of influence in your family, in your work, at your job, whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that makes up you, you have influence with people, and you can reach, maybe there's somebody, maybe not, maybe there's somebody you can reach that no one else can. And I don't know how quickly, (laughs) I don't know exactly how that is, but if you pray about it, I'm pretty sure God will tell you who that is. Because God wants to use you in his plan and in his kingdom. He doesn't just want anybody just hanging out, sitting in the back, thinking that they don't have a place or that they don't belong. 
And it's our job as the church to help one another find out where we belong and how we fit in and what we're to do. I mentioned it earlier. It was at the end of Jesus healing the boy with the unclean spirit, and he healed him, and he gave him back to his father. I love verse 43. I want to read it again. And they were all astonished at the majesty of God. Sometimes I'm not so astonished at the majesty of God if I'm just honest with you. I can stay really busy doing a bunch of things. I grew up in the church, so I've always known about God and the church and all this stuff. And it can be easy, if I'm not careful, to lose sight of what's most important. And I can no longer be in awe of the majesty of God. But look at these people. Look at what Jesus did. And look how he continues to work in our lives. And I want to make sure that I continue to be in awe of the majesty of God. That in his great love for us, he gave us his son. Now, there are some things in our life as Christians, I know that I just haven't experienced, that we can read about in Scripture. For Jesus' apostles and some of the original groups that he sent out, he gave them miraculous powers to do things. I haven't experienced that in my life. Um, it's another conversation to talk about a little bit more. But maybe but people did this. And maybe one of the reasons here, this is just me speculating here a little bit, in the Samaritan village when nobody was listening to Jesus in verse 54 and following. Uh, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, he, they saw people not paying attention to Jesus, not listening. What did they say? Well, they said what we'd probably say when we got mad. Well, they're not listening to Jesus. You want me to call down fire from heaven and get them? We can get them for you, Jesus. We'll get them. He said, chill out. No, let's go on. Because we never know what part we're going to play in somebody's life. We never know when somebody's going to respond and is, they're going to be willing to accept the truth, the gospel. But what I do know that God has called for me to do is to be obedient to what he is teaching me and what he is showing me to do, both generally speaking in my life and very specifically day by day as I'm leaning on God and trusting in him to be obedient, to look for the chances where God wants for me to share my faith. And I cannot control how you respond. A lot of times I can't control how I respond, right? But I can't, you can, we can't control other people. But that's not my job. It's not for us to do that. It is God's job. It is one of the roles that the Holy Spirit does is that he convicts and he brings people to him. The same is true if we've got the word of God, the people of God, and the spirit of God. That's what we need. There's also three elements that are always at work in our relationships here. My relationship with Phil, who's one of our elders, and he led our song service up here singing today. There, Phil has his part to play in his relationship. I have my part to play, and God has his part to play. I can no better play Phil's part than God's part. He has something he has to be accountable for. I'm something I have to be accountable for. And God, the great thing about God is God will not fail you. God will always do his part. And what I'm trying to figure out and what we together are trying to figure out as a church is I want to make sure that I'm doing my part in my family, in the church, in my relationships, in my friendships, in my spheres of it. Am I being obedient to what God is telling me to do? Hopefully that answer when we ask it is yes. And then when we know that God's always going to do it, and if I'm not perfect but following God as best I can, that takes an awful lot of pressure off of me because I can't make Phil do anything. That's him. I can influence, I can love, I can pray for, but God is the one that works there.
It's more about this cost of following Jesus, uh, the very last passage. There's a couple different people in verse 57 through 62, and they cry out, well, I'll follow you, Jesus. I've heard about you. You proclaim miracles, and you do these great things. I think it's pretty neat to kind of tag along for a while until I got tired. And Jesus says to the first person, he says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, okay, but foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Maybe not, <laughs> okay? And then someone else says, follow me. And Jesus says, his response to Jesus is, first, let me go bury my father. And Jesus says, no, let the dead bury their dead. When there's a call to follow after him, you just have to go. And guess what? You're not going to have all the answers. You never will. I won't. None of us will. It'd drive you crazy. Does anybody ever like to have all the answers in life? Just me and Phil and a bunch of liars. Okay, great. That's wonderful. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah, all right. There are a few more hands. All right, there are a few more hands. I'll never have all the answers. I never will. But God will give me what I need, and he has given me what I need in his word. He's given me what we need in his people, the church. And as we're following along with him and his word and the people of God, God's going to take care of us. He is, and he will, and he will continue to do that. Because God made a promise to Peter, and that promise continues to us. And when he talked about the church and how the church was started on the apostles and how he specifically used Peter, he says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Guess what? The church always wins. Maybe not some of the little battles that we see. You and I know enough and have lived long enough to see that and to know that. The church will not be defeated. Together, following after God, seeking his will, knowing that there's a cost. And it's going to cost you something, but you know what? It's worth it. It's worth it. I'm going to pray, and, and we'll sing one more song. But let's bow. Will you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your word and how we can read it, and it is powerful. God, I pray for the times where we read it and don't understand all the way. God, that you just make that clear to us. Maybe not right in the moment, because sometimes we don't learn lessons that way when we get answers immediately. <laughs> but God, it's great when you provide those. Father, I pray that when you lay something on our heart, a burden for your truth, a burden for other people, God, that it just sticks with us. And God, that it just consumes us and that we are living our life following after you. Father, thank you for your people. God, thank you for the freedom that we have to come together. May we not forget the most important thing of all is Jesus. God, and following after him and sharing him with others. God, may our faith not just be about when we come together as the church, but God, may it be all-encompassing about who we are and all that we do. God, make us better workers in your kingdom because we came together today as the church. God, we love you. Thank you for all that you do for us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.